Welcome to the Present Fathers Podcast. This is the show that focuses on climbing the mountain of fatherhood together. Our mission is to help fathers be present by sharing valuable ideas and concepts that will equip men to be the best father possible. Being a good father is hard work, but it is so vitally important. We believe that dads matter, and that's why this podcast is for you. So gear up, dads, and get ready. It's time to start climbing. Welcome to the Present Fathers Podcast, and in tonight's episode, we will be discussing the coddling of the American mind. Um, a little bit about the book. It is by Greg Lukianoff and Jonathan Haidt. You've probably heard of Jonathan Haidt. He's uh, really grown in popularity over the last couple of years. And this book came out in 2018, um, which if you kind of talk about is right before the world really got crazy. So um, they kind of need to rewrite it. <laughs> yeah. But it really goes through um, essentially how... Uh, you know, our society has become so uncomfortable with discomfort, and uh, in a lot of ways, you know, we overshelter children and uh, even adults, and um, essentially have created a society that seeks safety so much that we've basically made life more dangerous. So, I'm I'm really, you know, giving a high level view of it. Uh, it's a pretty popular book. Um, you can definitely find it online very easily. But what we'd like to do is quickly go over some of the high notes of it, some of the key points of the book makes. Um, and where we'd really like to take it from there is what can we do as fathers, right? The so what of it is how can we make sure that we do our part to prevent the coddling of the American mind within our own families, within our children, and uh, so that the next generation doesn't kind of make the same mistakes. That's that's really the so what of it. Um, so with me tonight, I'm joined with the entire cast. We're all here uh, again in 2023. This is our second episode of the year, so we're pretty pumped to kind of get the year off on on, on the right track. Um, so real quick, let's just go around. Brandon, how you doing? Welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you. Uh, doing great, man. Just, uh, you know, enjoying the kids and the wife. Uh, we've, we've been doing a little bit of uh, planning for our, you know, summer traveling and vacation that we're going to get. And so very excited about that. And just trying to get back in the gym. I've been eating healthy. I am sugar free since our last podcast. And as tough as that was, it's a lot easier now and I feel a lot better. So uh, good. Good. Yeah. Awesome. Dustin, how you doing, brother? Oh, I got mute goblin again. Yeah, wow. I'm doing well. Uh, we had my son's third birthday and awesome. 49 people showed up. Wow. It was an event. Um, and he was holding court. I mean, that kid was, he's still talking about it. All the people showed us my birthday. He's, <laughs> he had a great time. You're creating a monster. A petting zoo. They had an albino wallaby. Um, there were dromedaries. Uh, it, it was a very, uh, very cool experience. So I'm glad we got to do it. And, uh, it was, it was really a lot of fun. That was definitely a highlight. Awesome. awesome. And Justin, last but not least. Man, can't complain. I, uh, Busy, busy work. Uh, hadn't had a drop of alcohol since uh, January 1. This is Lyme Perrier, so I feel like I'm drinking a mixed drink, but I'm really not. Oh, well, it is what it is. I'm uh, embarking on my liquid, liquid death. death experience. Yeah, yep. I, and I got to say, man, 
any father out there who's trying to quit drinking and like cut back on Cokes or whatever the case may be, mineral water with flavoring, like natural flavoring that doesn't have the artificial sweeter sweeteners and all that other stuff. It's fantastic, man. It's yep. it's been my my saving grace for sure. It makes me feel like I'm drinking a cocktail, so I can kind of have my fix, you know. <laughs> yeah, but it's a good uh, placebo. Yeah, yeah. I've been working out, been uh, trying to stay healthy, and and just kind of get my my head right for the start of the year. Been really, really, really focusing on work. Um, just traveled last two days with a coworker and had a great time doing that. So yeah, that's about it, man. Been been good. Awesome. Uh, I'm doing pretty good too. Uh, I'm just excited for this episode because I think we have some differing points of view on this one. Uh, and so I'm, I'm excited to get into it, have a little bit of debate, um, maybe even disagree with the author, you know, gasp. Um, I, I'm kind of making a, a joke. It's foreshadowing because, you know, a, a lot of the book is about how if someone disagrees with you, you know, they, they're, they have to be canceled and everything. So anyway, um, let's get into it. So, uh, the, the, the first three like real big points the book makes is what they call the three untruths, okay? So um, those are the untruth of fragility, what doesn't kill you makes you weaker. The next one is the untruth of emotional reasoning, always trust your feelings. And the third is the untruth of us versus them, life is a battle between good people and evil people. So those are the three initial things they point out, and essentially their argument is that society as a whole has actually embraced these lies. Um, you know, I think most of us, the first one is, is probably the most obvious, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you weaker. No, what, do, what doesn't kill you makes oh. you stronger, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so let's get into that first, and let's just talk about what doesn't kill you makes you weaker. So the, the, the high-level point they make is that uh, they kind of start out with an example of Peanuts, right? Peanut allergies with kids, nut allergies in schools and how the nuts are banned at school. You can't have them. And essentially, science has shown that um, we've actually kind of created that problem because if kids are just exposed to foods they may become allergic to early on, they actually build up a resistance to it and they don't ever get an allergy. So it's a case of where essentially the cure is worth worse than the disease because uh, by trying to insulate kids from harm, we basically ensured that they're going to be more able to be harmed throughout the rest of their life. So that's the first kind of key point. Let's pause, go around the room on what you guys either felt about that. Do you agree? What was kind of the best point that you th- you know felt the book made? Anything you disagreed with? My guess is that we all probably are in alignment on this one, but let's, uh, let's just go around and talk about that one. Brandon, I think you're itching to probably kick it off. So <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, as the the saying is, uh, hell is paved with good intentions. It's, you know, everybody has a good intention at heart and then they initialize these things that affect other people and the the coddling, so to speak, like with the peanut example, it, it causes issues with, uh, it, it trickles down to others. And so yeah, I totally um, agree that, that fragility is, is such a major issue in our, our society. And and I know that we're going to get into the, the meat and potatoes of that, but um, man, I, I see it more prevalent anywhere, uh, more so in colleges, like colleges and universities, that, that fragility that, and that's where it should be expelled. Like your, your fragility and your thought processes and your cognitive biases should always be challenged at school. And, and conflict is a good, healthy thing if it's done right. So yeah, I love how that they at least emphasize that because um, the universities have gone um, pretty south in that that aspect. 
uh, Dustin, Justin, anything you guys want to add to that point? Yeah, I'll jump in. Um, so I love that uh, they cite my favorite uh, philosopher, Nassim Taleb, who wrote the book Anti-Fragile. Um, and so glass is fragile. Uh, steel is robust. And the human body and the human mind is anti-fragile, meaning what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. But just like that song, what doesn't kill you? No, I won't do that to you. I'm sorry. That's <laughs> yeah, <please> don't. <laughs> that would make you. I'm, I'm too yeah, fragile. I'm the show now. I'm too yeah, fragile. Do don't do it. Yeah. Um, so when you are not exposed to challenges, it makes you much weaker and softer and yep. life is much harder for you. When a, a human is exposed to challenges, um, both physical, you know, exercise is good for you. Just because I go and run doesn't mean I suddenly collapse and fall apart. My body actually grows stronger from it. And the mind is the same way. Um, you know, the Greeks considered mental exercise just as important as physical exercise. And they kind of thought of them as the same thing. So a lot of us don't consider doing mental exercises, but, you know, coddling your mind is the opposite of that. It's refusing to do any mental exercise. Right. Yeah, and it's in this chapter they um you know they start with that example of like elementary school nuts and stuff but they take it to describing how this mentality of you know essentially insulate all people from all things at all times um how that really rooted in the college culture um you know prestigious universities you know essentially in, enacting policies you know to prevent all harm and in turn what they ended up doing is just ensuring that everyone is getting harmed by either uh, you know, forcing people into groups, uh, essentially segregation, you know, based off of all these different factors and, and all these types of things um, that have been counterproductive. And like Brandon was saying, you know, the the university setting should be essentially the battlefield of thought, right? You should You should go there. Obviously, you have your own personal beliefs and values and things like that, but they should be challenged at all turns. That doesn't mean you have to conform, uh, right. quite the opposite. It's just a a differing opinion that, that maybe you gain perspective or maybe you reject and that's fine. Um, and that's been completely lost in our culture. And so they, they really go into that. I, I actually liked this section of the book. It was insightful. I thought it was a good kind of academic breakdown of, of this concept. Uh, you know, cause I would initially just say, Oh, I mean, these people are just weak, you know? <laughs> so they go a little bit beyond saying they're just weak and they, they kind of give you all these reasons why. So I, I actually like this section pretty good. Um, any final thoughts on this one? I don't want to spend too long, you know, yeah. a book report. Let's get to the meat of, of the topic. But I think look, the, the untruths are important. I got to say, man, uh, fragility is definitely a word um, that I, I like uh, because when, when you guys talk about what doesn't kill you makes you weaker, that is, that's a crazy thing to say, man. Like, honestly, to me, I think, someone like David Goggins is, is good for people today. Uh, stay hard. Don't, don't be soft. Uh, the man was 300 plus pounds. He ran his first hundred miles when he was still heavy. Uh, he runs hundreds of miles and the, uh, set the world champion or not world champion, but the uh, Guinness book of world records for pushups. He had callus on his hands that were like literally just torn apart and bleeding. The man has gone to the depths of hell and experienced what darkness and, you know, all these, things that fragile people would avoid and conflict as you would call it. He, he eats conflict for breakfast and just goes deeper into the darkness. And I love people like that because they challenge everyone else. They challenge you to think differently. They challenge you to feel differently. And the man's one of the smartest guys when it comes to living his life the way he wants to, because he understands what conflict truly is. And I think conflict as a man, as a father or as a brother, you know, whatever the case may be, teaches you 
to not let your children be fragile. It Absolutely. teaches you to, so to hold allow that thought. Hold yeah. That thought. Okay. We're, all right. All right. Go we're going to talk about the so what of how we take these principles right, and apply right, cool, it to cool. being dead. So I'll, I like where you're going with uh, it. I'll chill. I'll chill. Yeah. You'll have to. You'll have to hang on. All right. So uh, number two is the untruth of emotional reasoning. Always trust your feelings. So again, I'm sure this is most people probably hear that and they go, "Yuck!" Like, you know, that, that's that's the exact opposite of being an adult, right? You you don't trust your feelings. You stick to what you know to be true. Um, you know, to <laughs> your principles and values and things like that. So, um, yeah, they, they uh, you know, kind of go in same, same fashion here. They kind of present this thought, then they back it up with a bunch of examples of how it's kind of happening today and how it started kind of as a good intention, right? We don't want people to feel left out or excluded and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it's basically just gone completely overboard and so now we have a culture of people who are, you know, by age adults, but in reality, they act like small children because they've never learned how to, um, you know, ignore what makes them feel scared or feel anxious or whatever and, and push through to the actual point of what matters, um, you know, whether it's a job or school or sports or whatever. Um, and so essentially, you're controlled by external forces now because if it makes you feel unsafe, then it, it it dominates you. And so that's kind of the whole point of, of what they're making here is that this untruth has been embraced um, in society. And that's why you have a bunch of weak-minded people today is because they do everything by how they feel as opposed to what they should do. So, you know, people say, follow your heart. It's like, no, you should lead your heart. You know, your heart can deceive you. It can yeah. want a cookie, but you know that you need to be healthy. So you have to tell it no, right? So Dustin. that was a shot at Dustin. <laughs> <laughs> Brandon, you look like you're itching to get in here, so go ahead. Oh, yeah, man. Well, uh, the Bible is quick to tell us that our feelings or our heart, more accurately, can't be trusted. Uh, you know, Proverbs talks about it all the time, uh, and it says that whoever trusts his own uh, heart is a fool, and uh, who walks in wisdom uh, will be delivered. So for me, that that and um, just seeing how anytime I've ever made a mistake in my life, uh, that cost me or co had a pretty severe consequence. It was emotionally driven, uh, whether it was fear or whatever emotion was driving there. It, it was drove, driven by emotions. And so for me personally, I 100% agree that emotional reasoning is the worst way uh, to solve things. I, I think uh, wisdom, experience, logic, um, thinking with your head instead of with your heart is one of the most vital things that people should be doing. And yet a lot of societies doing the opposite. They're just, they're not even thinking, they're just acting, they're reacting to their emotions right. and just projecting out there. And so, yeah, that's everything you do is impulsive. Yeah. yeah that was a big chapter. I, I loved it. Definitely. I forgot to mention that this is where they also spend a good time uh, discussing CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, and they, and they don't just go in the clinical sense of like what people do today with that. But they, they actually take it way, way, way back to, you know, ancient recorded history where cultures had essentially methods, you know, even I'm talking like, you know, people who a small group that lived in the woods somewhere in the world, you know, 10,000 years ago, they had rituals that essentially forced CBT like behaviors to prevent being driven by emotions. Um, and you know, so, for example, a hunter, right? I'm, I'm sure they're scared of the large beast, but they still got to go kill it and get the food for the for the tribe. Otherwise, everyone starves to death. So if you only lived by fear, you know, he would run away and, and then everyone dies. So that's kind of an extreme example that I just kind of pulled out right now. But the, that that's kind of the point they're driving is, um, 
people today seem, especially in America, seem to be very controlled by external forces, what makes them feel anxious or fearful, and they try to avoid it at all costs. Um, and in some cases, right, your, your emotions can be an indicator, right, about, oh, maybe this isn't a good thing I should be doing or whatever. Um, but if you let it control you, then you're essentially a slave to whatever's around you, and you have no free will, you have no control over your life or destiny. Um, and that's obviously not a very good way to, one, live your own life, but then raise children. <laughs> or teach children. So um, that was kind of point number two. Um, Dustin, Justin, any any thoughts you want to add in on this one? I would say never trust your feelings. <laughs> I'm living proof of that. Women got me in a lot of trouble, man. <laughs> I followed my feelings and they were very wrong. <laughs> like very, very wrong. So I'm going to go ahead and say, don't trust your feelings. Be logical. Step back. Take a deep breath. And understand that your feelings will get you in a hell of a lot of trouble. Because <laughs> I know firsthand. Sure, but at the same time, don't ignore your feelings and use them to your advantage, right? So yeah, um, that that's fear is helpful. Point. If you're afraid of a bear, that's great because it will prime you to be ready <laughs> to do the right thing to handle well, it, right? So having yes. no fear is a bad thing. It's just a matter of allowing it to completely take over. Sure. Yeah. So to that, Dustin, they, they really drive the that point home of, and that's where they talk about the CBT stuff a lot is. You know, so CBT is this thing is making me fearful or anxious. Why is that? It's basically finding root cause, and instead of letting it control you, it's it's finding a path through it. But in the, what you were highlighting is essentially what most people do today is they it's all avoidance, right? Oh, this makes me anxious, and, and you live your life in avoidance. And sorry, I mean, there's there's something out there that's going to come get you in some way, right? It might be the yeah. weather, it might be another driver, it, it could be anything <laughs> out in the world. Something is going to make you anxious or fearful at some point. So and to try and live feelings. your entire life in avoidance is just lunacy. Yeah. Emotional feelings is completely different than a physical reaction or physical feeling where sure. you're trusting your gut. Because, I mean, there's probably somebody out there who's like, sees a, a big, massive black bear and it's like, I want to give it a hug. I just love it. Not going to work out well, buddy, because you listen to those feelings. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. your fight or flight response is already kicking in. You should be listening to that. That's a completely different feeling. So I just mm -hmm. want to clarify, like, well, yeah. Yeah. Don't give bears hugs. That's my point. <laughs> also, there's there's perfect examples of this in modern day. And again, it's not just universities, but um, great example when Jordan Peterson or uh, any any big person like that uh, who loves to debate logically with people starts to try to speak. Uh, people try to shut him down. And what's right. their response? Instead of sitting down and actually battling him with their wits and their mind, they're just yelling and screaming absurdities or you know, clanging whatever they have in their hands, just they're not contributing. And in fact, I feel like they're hurting society as a whole because they're the people that are causing the the hindrances um, on our freedom of speech. They're, they have a negative impact on free speech and open discourse. And so uh, people being more sensitive like that and less willing to engage because they're so emotionally driven, just, man, it's, it's such a negative thing for our society as a whole. Yeah. This I think this is the chapter or the section of the book too, where they really get into how college campuses became very essentially militant in that if a speaker was coming that they disagreed with, um, you know, people would show up and essentially resort to violence. In some cases, pretty extreme, like talking millions of dollars of damage to the university and stuff because the speaker, you know, has a controversial point of view or wrote a paper that they didn't agree with. And because they disagree with it and it made them feel unsafe, that's hate speech. And that's, you know, they need to be silenced and we can't let them speak. And like that, that's the kind of 
this crazy loop that they're breaking down, you know, kind of in an academic way, right? The people who wrote this book, the professors, lifelong academics. So it's very, you know, dissertation style. Um, so if you can kind of get through that, they make some very valid points. But, you know, I think we've all, like I said, this was written in 2018. I think from 2018 to today, we've all kind of lived through a little bit more of this now. I don't think anyone needs to really be told uh, <laughs> the the insanity uh, that a lot of people live their lives like that now. So, um, yeah, uh, go ahead, Dustin. I think now would be a good time if, if you think it fits to this. Yeah, so it was probably around 2020, 2021 that the concept of ableism um, became a really big concept. I think I started seeing, and I thought it was pronounced ableism. I was like, what the heck is that? So I looked it up, and uh, basically anyone the concept is that um, it, it starts from a good place, right? I mean, I'm not better than someone who is missing their legs. Of course I'm not. We're all people, right? Um, but the problem starts to become absurd. And here's a great example. Um, the blind community is very against uh, ocular implants that could give them vision again, right? Because the idea that being sighted, being able to see is better than being blind is ableist, which is considered hate speech. So I have to be very careful, you know, for me to say that it is better to be to be able to see things than to be blind is potentially running afoul of certain hate speech rules. And that's so absurd that I mean, you can't talk about anything at that at that point, you know, so um, when we started getting into ableism, that's that's when things really started going off the rails. Um, And I don't even think that was discussed in coddling because the concept wasn't even a thing back in 2018. Um, so that's an interesting kind of development that's occurred since about 2020. Yeah. And, and they, you know, they make that point too. And I, I think most rational people would agree that, you know, uh, intent does matter, right? Sometimes people say something stupid. Now, are they actually trying to, you know, commit mass genocide and eliminate a group of people because they said a dumb thing? Probably not. So that's the thing too, is like, there's, you know, there's no room for context, uh, in, with with this way of thinking, right? If if at any time anyone says anything or has even hinted, or or they follow someone on Instagram or Facebook or whatever who says these things, then they're they're hateful too. And it's just like the, it, there's no end to it, right? So, and and you see this a lot. Th- this group that thinks this way ends up eating their own too and canceling their own. Um, uh, J.K. Rowling, right? She's under all kinds of, and she's a leftist, like she's way out there. Um, and she's being eaten by the left because she's made a few comments that not everyone agreed with. And this cycle is just, it's insanity. Like you have to stop it, you know? So that's kind of what this chapter was about. Everything's emotionally driven and charged. And so then it just controls your mind. And, you know, then you get things like ableism and, um, you know, they all started from a, a good root, you know, desire. Hey, I don't want to mistreat people. Um, but then you essentially go on this massive, later in the book, they talk about like witch hunts. Um, because, you know, some, what someone said 20 years ago, you know, taken out of context and it's just insanity. So I think we kind of killed this one. Let's go to the next, uh, untruth that they present. Um, and this is the untruth of us versus them. Life is a battle between good people and evil people. Um, and essentially the high level concept of this is that, um, it's the polarization and tribalist tribalism kind of mentality where, um, Kind of like we were just talking about, you know, they don't think everything like me or they disagree with me on something. And so they're my enemy and now I have to destroy them. 
Um, and that's where you really saw this rise, I think, in about 2016, 17 on c campuses where, you know, controversial speaker is going to come to the campus and no, they're my enemy. And so like this mob forms and resorts to violence and burns down buildings and, you know, it gets the, <clears throat> um, the, the speech canceled and, you know, they're beating people up who are even trying to go to the speech and stuff. So that's kind of the mentality that they uh, break down here in, in this section. And um, I'll, I'll yield to Brandon here to kind of have the more uh, cool head explaining the rest of it, because I actually kind of disagreed with, with some of this in this area. You're on the yacht muted, brother. Sure, sure. So social media uh, is kind of the, the main protagonist of this, this whole picture here. Uh, the pre-Elon Twitter era is what I call it. Uh, you know, everybody can find their own group that'll back them up even if their thought process is completely asinine. Um, so tribalism and polarization is pretty much just built inherently into all of the, the algorithms that these social medias have. Like if you'll ever notice all the stuff that pops up on your social media is kind of along the same thought processes that you have. And they do that on purpose. And so they're, they're just make, they're compounding it. And uh, the spread of misinformation and that tribalism, it just, it, it creates such a deterioration of, of civil discourse. Like it just kills the ability of it. So for me personally, I think social media is the main culprit of it. And I, I agree with a lot of the points that they were saying, because like you said, yes, they, they were breaking down things in a very scientific, very detail oriented manner. And I know that can be mind numbing for a lot of people, but me being a detail, like analytic person, I loved it because it's like, you have to know your enemy. You know, if, if you feel like they're your enemy, you have to know them, you have to know their point. And then maybe you, you can express empathy or you can express the ability to kind of help them um, realize the error in their ways. But but that's just me personally. I kind of I look at books through my own lens and my lens is very unique. So can't say too much there. But um, but yeah, uh, I'll, I'll relinquish it. That's that's the main point that I was thinking was social media was the, the cause there. Yeah, I'd say yep, social media point. is a great thing. And you mentioned reading. So with me personally, um, reading has been one of the things that absolutely changed my life. And I don't think enough people do it nowadays. It's it's kind of phased out. And it's sad because, you know, we're talking about the mind and the American mind and everything's now, now, now. And, you know, my way, my way, my way. Well, one of the best book series, I'm a fantasy reader. You know, I love Tolkien. I love all the greats. Um, but one of them is R.A. Salvatore. He wrote a series called uh, Drist, uh, The Legend of Drist. And it's uh, on and off 33 books. I've read every one of them. Um, and you follow him on a journey. And and not to get too far in the weeds in it, he is a dark elf. So, like, he deals with racism and, like, hate and all this other stuff. But he comes to the surface and they're hated because their people are just murderous and terrible. Long story short, uh, he, he challenges his own point of view and you get to read it through that. Um, and he's at war constantly um, and with with other societies. And it's it's crazy because you start to realize he questions himself and he's like, well, am I right for thinking they're wrong? What if they're in the right? You know, and I'm, I'm killing needlessly. And like it's it really starts to open your mind up. And, and my point is from this when you when you get to see from a perspective that's that's that focused and that's that i guess what's the word i'm looking for um i guess drastic you you kind of realize that our society is a lot like that 
if people were more open-minded with others, I don't think we would have near the problems we do. But like you guys have stated, everybody's my way, the highway, social media is, is brainwashing people because they're seriously thinking, oh, well, this is this is real. I've seen a meme. This is this is statistics. It's fact. Well, no, if you actually fact check that, it's not. It's 100% false. And they've let they've been led to believe it because all their friends believe it or their group or mm -hmm. the algorithms that these social media uh, conglomerates are, are making you see. Uh, it, you're pretty much their puppet. And I like to call them sheeple. But, you know, <laughs> that's, that's essentially what you are when you when you just adherently believe anything you see. And so, um, yeah, the, the group yeah. psychology thing with this is yeah, just it's like mass formation. Yeah. Yeah, no so. one thinks for themselves anymore, and that's the problem. If if everyone is more like Drist, where they they question everything they do and look inward for problems instead of outward, I think at the end of the day that would be a good lesson for everyone to learn: look in before you look out and and yeah. push out to you know everyone else. So, all right, Dustin. Yeah, Justin, you make such a great point there. Um, often fiction is a much better teacher than um, uh, than nonfiction. Uh, 1984, a great example. Um, mm -hmm would not have been a very good book if it is if it was written as nonfiction. It wouldn't have been very interesting. But because you had characters, a story arc, and all that, it's uh, a mainstay and everyone knows the book um, because it was written as fiction. So yeah, great point there. Um, and loved, loved the Driss books, man. Those are, those are super good. Um, so, you know, it's built into human psychology. It's very interesting. If you and I both dislike something together, we're more likely to bond as friends yep. than if we like something mutually. So it's very odd that in human psychology, um, Let's say that Brandon and I both couldn't stand the Packers. We just thought they were the worst, you know, they're just a hypothetical example, right? That's that would actually bond us more as friends <laughs> than if Justin and I both loved the Cowboys. And you would think, okay, well, we're both Cowboys fans. We're going to be good friends. But ironically, it's a dislike of something or a desire to cancel, right? Or a mm -hmm. tribalistic view that we're the in-group and they're the out-group that bonds people the tightest. And so we have to really fight that temptation because it's so satisfying to dislike someone else because of their beliefs. Um, and that again, you know, goes back to the emotional versus um, logical way of looking yep. at things. And it's super, super important to recognize, yes, I understand that person has a different opinion, but I can't hate that person because they disagree on some obscure fact. Yeah. You made a good point of how essentially the previous untruths fuel getting to this point also. It's not like, you know, it, it's, a, it's a progression it didn't just, you know, you don't just wake up one day necessarily. Um, so yeah, you guys kind of hit the high points on this one. Uh, the, the, where I kind of drew the line on this part of the book where, um, I get it. They were trying to look at this very academically and, you know, they're trying to make essentially an argument and, and back it up with research and facts and that kind of stuff. But for me, <clears throat> one thing I think that they either take for granted or, don't understand themselves or I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the cause is, but I felt like they were lacking a little bit of acknowledgement that if someone has gotten to this point where they're willing to use violence and all this kind of stuff, because you don't think the way they do, um, I'm not just going to like roll over and take it right. Like you are going, you, you've stated publicly that I shouldn't exist. Right. So you've already made me an enemy. In a sense, so I'm not saying I'm going to use violence against you either, but I'm not going to just I'm going to defend myself. So they kind of glossed over that or avoided it. I don't know. I don't know if they wanted to get in trying to avoid maybe a, a political thing there or something. But for me, this section was lacking. 
uh, a little bit and it kind of just started to, to frustrate me because they were going through all these events where people have done these ridiculous things in the last couple of years. Um, and it just really started making me really frustrated and angry and I had to stop listening to the audiobook. I just turned it off. I was like, I, I, I need a break. It's just making me angry. So I, I guess part of that is kind of stemmed to just from the frustration of the fact that people have gotten to this point in our society today. Um, you know, we have the access to the internet and basically any book or source of knowledge you could ever possibly want faster than any human on the planet in history has ever had. And I feel like we're dumber than ever before. So if this chapter was hard for me to get through, cause it started, um, kind of bringing some of that frustration at the surface for me. So. I, you know, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, and I think you made a good point uh, about society. I, I read a, or actually heard a statistic recently that really floored me. 77% of our society today as Americans were willing to go along without question with anything that not only our government, but leaders have said. That's a scary fact because we need people that can resist the thoughts of others that will make opinions for themselves. And our children, as fathers, that's our responsibility to challenge our children to think unlike others and to resist and to question. Because if you go willingly, man, I'm going to say this, and it's it's controversial, but there were some times in different world wars where people went along and it didn't end well for them. Mm -hmm. And it sucks because people did not resist. The ones who resist are the ones who ended up winning the war. Um, so it, we'd all be speaking German and Japanese. I'll just say that if, if there were not men and women who were willing to resist the status quo and willing to resist what others thought. And I think today it's now more important than ever because we're, we're having things forced on us and they're challenging us. Our governments, whether people want to believe this or not, not to get down the political rabbit hole, are challenging us daily. They're challenging our children as well because they're seeing how we respond. And that's that's something we really, really need to start thinking about as men, especially because we are the ones who usually fight the wars. I'm not saying women don't. Women do their part. And women can fight wars. But men primarily are the ones. So we are need, we need to be the ones that lead the way. We need to be the ones that challenge when someone says, you have to do this. Well, no, I do not. You know, yeah. and that's something we need to start standing up and saying and speaking out against. And if people have a problem with it and they want to get emotional, let them be calm. But I agree with you, George. If it comes to violence and, you know, it hits the fan, you are my enemy at that point. And well, I and guess what I was to trying to say is that, like my point, they kind of take the position of, well, just take the high road. Right. Well, I think that's how we got to where we are right now. Um, I think in many cases, you know, accountability uh, has been removed from society. And, and so that's how this, this group think has been allowed to just accelerate. And, and, you know, I'd be interested to see how they rewrite this chapter if they wrote it today versus when they wrote it probably in, let's say 2017, right? They probably, probably mm -hmm. took them about a year before they published in, in late 2018. I think there might be some very different points made in this section of the book. Um, specifically with, let's say 2020 to, uh, 2022, and let's just leave it at that. Draw your own conclusions where that goes. But, um, sure. well, yeah. I, so I think, I, I think we saw a lot of this come to the surface from a certain group of people directed at another group of people pretty, pretty violently. And, uh, you know, essentially became a religion. So I'm just gonna leave it at that. Don't want to get, you know, kicked off of YouTube here. Mama Susan's going to watch us with the algorithm and cancel us, but I'll, I'll leave it there now sure well I, I i disagree to an extent um and let me specify 
just because they, even if they speak violence, they're in a group, nine times out of 10, they're in a group mentality in a group setting. And if you pull them away from that and you give them information in a calm way that they don't get defensive and they don't have anybody to back their ideology, they can change. People are no, susceptible Then they scream in your change. face and call you a bigot and a racist because you're a white male. Well, I'm saying. at least- they, they I mean, have they, because of because of steps one and two that we already covered. <laughs> they're incapable of not being controlled by the emotions, and you are because you disagreed. You're an existential threat to their existence, and so they still default to this programming of violence. They don't want to listen to you, Brandon. Whatever, you're a you know? Christian, right? But you're what I'm saying male, is, you know, like I've this. seen plenty of people demonize Jordan Peterson, for example, and they say that he's a bigot. He's a He's they've drawn comic characters of him being Hitler and red face and all this stuff. And this there's certain people that were the same people doing that, that actually listened to some of Jordan's stuff and he got through to them. And now they're, they're completely different viewpoints because they weren't in a, a position where they were being backed with their foolishness. They were given a, an ability to look at it in a clear way without being, in a very highly volatile situation, but like in the universities, you'll never do that. I, I mean, I agree to an extent, but I, I just feel like there is an ability to change people and it's not, it can be less us versus them. Yeah. But on the, on the flip side of that, you also have to understand these people that are accusing others of these, these ridiculous things or these horrid things are the ones that are actually committing those things. They're also the ones who are guilty. And so it doesn't matter how much you change them. They're still that animal. They're still that creature of habit. They still have those design flaws, so to speak. They're the ones who are doing the horrid things that they accuse others of. So regardless, if you change their mind, they may still be doing terrible things. Sure. And, I'm not... and that's, that's my problem with it. Those are the same kind of people that do that and, and nobody holds them accountable. So, so I think Jonathan hate, and uh, and you guys a little bit are um, giving people a little too much credit for their honesty. I think it's a lot more cynical than this. Um, if I had to get out of jail free card, I'd be very tempted to use it as well. You know, you have to use what you're given. Mm -hmm. And if society tells you that if you have certain demographics, you can use certain advantages to get more money. A lot of people are going to do that. I'm, I'm not talking yeah. about welfare or anything, but I mean, you know, in in an argument, if because of your situation as a, a minority or a protected class or something of that nature, I don't think it makes sense to assume that people won't take advantage of that. Um, people are smart and uh, when given an opportunity um, or a boost or a power up of some sort, right? I mean, it's essentially, you know, plus one to CHA if you, uh, you know, have certain demographic characteristics, that's gonna be used. And that's not everybody. Obviously, a lot of people are legitimately triggered and have their limbic system just out of control and they can't handle the speech. I think a, a, a lot more people than we think though can handle it and just know exactly what to say to take advantage of the situation. Mm, um, and that's just my cynical kind of yeah. look at it. I don't think Jonathan Haidt looks at that at all. I think he takes everyone at face value, which is very uh, gullible. I, I kind of agree with you. I got the sense that he believes that people are basically good and I disagree. I think people are basically evil. Uh, oh, to absolutely. some extent, right? We have a sin nature. Um, it's in our nature to, um, you know, if we can get away with it, what what's to stop us from doing it, right? Most people think that way. Um, and, you know, I call me based or whatever, but I, you know, I've, I've seen it, right? I've been to places of the world where there is legit 
evil. I'm, I'm talking sick people that You've take pleasure stuff, dude. In, yeah. in exploiting and subjugating people who are weaker than them. And, um, you know, it, it's, I just don't think most people have that perspective in America because we live for the most part in general, right? I'm not saying everyone has, has it easy, right? But as a society, the American society is mostly insulated from a lot of the crazy stuff that happens in a lot of other places in the world. And I'm not, I'm not saying America's perfect or that we're like the shining beacon of where everyone wants to live and that every city in America is perfect. But in general, compared to the bulk of human history, the average American lives with more comfort and more food and more free time than any human has ever existed with. And, um, you know, so we have this kind of flawed perspective that like everyone is just basically good and, you know, there's, there's bad people. And so that's why I kind of had like issues with this chapter is, I mean, I've, I've seen these evil people and what they do. Um, not, I'm, you know, I'm talking like overseas and stuff, but you can't really unsee that. And I, I can't really take that fact about humanity back. Right. I can't make that disappear. And I'm not saying I like, I'm afraid of everyone or don't trust everyone, but you have a different perspective. And my, my sense was that they don't have this perspective. So they're writing from this very, you know, in their ivory tower of universities and everything. And I don't know, I don't know them. I don't want to judge them as people, but that was the sense I got reading this Mm -hmm. section of it. And it, you, you, put it pretty well, Dustin, that it's like naive. Um, that, that's kind of the sense I got. George, you must cackle when you see expressions like uh, words or violence. <laughs> it's like, no, bullets are violence. No, that's why I had, to, that's why I had to put violence. the book down. I, you don't know I, They were going through it in an academic way, and I just, oh my gosh, man, I just could not. And look, ju- just for clarity, I'm not, I'm not talking about people who have ideations that and they wave a big stick uh, being capable of change. I'm talking like the people that I, I would, I would agree with you in this Avenue would be like, you're saying people that are actually evil that actually right, right, right. Uh, respond yeah. with violence. Yes. That's yeah, and they absolutely. manipulate the mass to, to go along. Yeah. With them. And, and I, the heart is wicked and evil in every way mm-hmm. to every man. We're all in a fallen world. I a hundred percent agree with that, but I, I'm just saying that there, there is the ability to change. I, I've seen plenty of people change. And, yeah. and I, I do believe that if we can, pursue it in the right way with certain people and get them away from their groups. I feel like there is the ability to change them. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. So yeah, but yeah, either way, that's, that's great. Valid that's point. such a great point, Brandon. Why are we yeah. doing this podcast if we can't change people's minds? Absolutely. Exactly. Well, and you know, I'd put it like this too. Go, go outside, go knock on your neighbor's door. My guess, you could be on completely opposite sides of the political spectrum, come from way different backgrounds. My guess is that you'd probably get along at least in most day-to-day interaction, and you would never even need to know that you disagreed on all these hot topics or whatever, right? Um, And what's projected from these sources is that that's not real and that that can't happen. And in reality, I think most people agree with this, that, um, you know, the the average person living their own life, this is is not a problem. Um, There's just very televised, publicized, extreme incidences that they talk about in the book and so it creates this hive mind mentality of oh my gosh well if anyone supports anything even remotely like that then they must be my enemy and so that's kind of what they're cautioning against um i just think they're like like we'd already talked about they they kind of miss some elements i think yeah yeah and as long Um, as they're not packers fans they're good you know yeah um but uh (laughs) well you know I, I can understand the hatred to go in because <laughs> I know what it's like to win a Super Bowl in this millennium, and you guys don't. So, 
I can understand, you know, the hateful tribalist mentality of wanting to, you know, I, I must be the evil one because uh, I have well, that privilege. When, when your tribe's not Bowl. in the playoffs, it doesn't really matter. So <laughs> it's fair. So let's go to the next subject. Um, the next two parts of the book are where I uh, had a real hard time kind of getting through it. Um, they really go into deep dives of essentially breaking down all of the factors that make these three untruths, uh, you know, possible to be accepted. Um, and I, I'm not discrediting the book and any of the research. There's an immense amount of research. They're very thorough, um, but it is a slog. You're not going to get through it in one sitting. So if you do read the book, just warning you right now, parts two and three, you need to commit some serious time to, to get through um, word for word because it's a lot. Um, but I think it's something like 12 different factors they break out and they it's with tons of research, tons of academic uh, studies and things like that that support their claims. Um, but let's skip over to really the what I thought was the best part of the book, and that's um, what they call Wising Up, part four. So it was for wiser kids, I think, and wiser universities or some, something to that effect. There's like, it's like a two-parter. Um, and really, it's essentially doing the opposite of all the untruths, right? <laughs> like we already talked about. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Uh, don't always trust your emotions. And not everyone is your enemy all the time. And you know what? You may have very differing backgrounds or beliefs, but there's a lot that also unites you and you could be you know, having a common and uh, you know, have that different perspective, hear the, the differing point of view. So um, Dustin, let's, let's kick it over to you for this one. Um, wising up, what can we do to be wiser? There's so much. Um, I, I think uh, limiting exposure to bad things is probably the most important out of all of those. Um, so news media uh, is not interested in telling us happy things, right? That doesn't drive clicks. Um, it doesn't produce any money for them. So when you understand where the incentives are on both the right and the left, you know, whether it's Fox News or MSNBC, you're going to see this um, sensationalism sells. Um, so, you know, people talk about a media bias left or right. I don't think that's the case at all. There is a sensationalist bias, right? And when you're constantly exposed to sensational things, murders, stabbings, shootings, people doing bad things, your limbic system will go crazy. You will constantly be in fear. And if you don't cut that out of your intellectual and emotional diet, you will be a very unhappy person. Um, so absolutely, if you're allowing your children to be constantly exposed to intense um, sensational media, even at a young age, they're really going to struggle. Um, so as hard as it is because their little friends are going to want to see it and there's always going to be bad influences. But, uh, you know, I think the most important thing you can do probably as a dad is limit your child's exposure to these absolutely mentally toxic, um, sources. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Brandon, Justin, you guys want to jump in on that? Sure. Uh, I think that, Again, the rise of safetyism, as they were talking about it, um, you know, if we're not careful, our, our next generation of children will be less resilient and they'll be and we're seeing it. They're more prone to mental issues, mental health issues. And it's it's because safety and comfort has become the number one priority in everything. And it's like we need to sit in our discomfort at times. Um, we need to feel unsafe in certain situations because they might there might be consequence to a certain action. We have to, like our kids have to know that there's consequences to every action, whether it's a good or a bad consequence. Like I tell my son, I'll say, you have a good consequence and this is what can happen or you have a bad one. 
how are you going to choose? And then I let him think about it and he chooses. And nine times out of 10, when I point that out, he'll pick the good one. But sometimes just naturally, if, if he's comfortable, you know, he'll pick the bad one, but mm -hmm. he'll know that there's going to be discomfort and I'm going to emphasize that. And so that critical thinking is, is so important. So for me, the wisdom would be uh, teach your kids to be uh, like out of their comfort zone. They need to constantly grow and don't let them feel safe. Don't catch them every time they fall like helicopter mm -hmm. parenting, but more, especially when they have bad behaviors, like a lot of this uh, university lunacy where these guys are screaming and hitting and punching and throwing and just, yep doing random stuff is because the parents never corrected that those emotional outbursts. They never let their kid think critically of, okay, what was another way of handling that? Yep. And so for me, yeah, that's, that's the big thing is, is emphasize that. Uh, and then my other thing would be um, don't ever let them play the victim. Victimhood culture is yep. just so rampant. Absolutely. Oh, man, I could go on for an hour on that yep. alone, but yeah. We may need a whole separate podcast. Yeah. That. Oh man. But yeah. <laughs> So yeah, those are the things, those are two things that and blocking social media completely out of my yeah. children's lives until they're old enough to handle it. I just sure. want to add one quick thing that you, you like touched on, but they do a really good job in this section of the book of explaining how this, this obsession with safetyism has actually increased anxiety, increased depression rates in children today. So again, the, the cure was worse than the disease, right? So trying to insulate kids from harm and all this kind of other stuff has actually led to kids being more likely to kill themselves, like quite literally, right? The depression leads to higher rates of suicide and everything. So, you know, I, th that's a very complex issue. There's a lot to unpack there, and they they give some research on that. Um, but that's a pretty, that, that should be a pretty jarring uh, point for us to take as parents today, right? Not just fathers, but fathers and mothers together, and take a hard look at, you know, are you being a helicopter parent? Are you... Are you obsessed with safetyism? And there's a balance, of course. I'm not saying like put your kid in the woods alone with a, nothing sure. but a knife, right? But they talk yeah. about play. They say that how play has disappeared. And um, mm -hmm. there's a lot of factors they really start hitting on in this section of the book that it actually made me feel energized. So like I was really feeling frustrated through this book. And I got to this point. I was like, oh, thank God, finally. So, um, you know, they really go into some of this very well. There's a lot of research backing this up. And for me, it was kind of like stuff like I just knew, like, well, duh, you know, because um, of how I was raised. But I can see how a lot of people who are just maybe 10 years younger than us, this might have been kind of like groundbreaking thought process for them to, to experience. Mm -hmm. um, but they used an example of, I think it was, it's like some park in New York because they live in New York. Um, and I want to say it's like there's all this scrap stuff from like construction and it's they made it into a park so that kids can go. And of course, you have to sign a, you know, insurance waiver or whatever, but they can go and basically do whatever they want. Um, and so he talked about how he lets his kids go to it and he watch, you know, watches from outside the fence and lets them play. And he noticed that there was like two boys of about the age of 10 who were just taking a bunch of nails and hammering them into like some scrap wood and multiple times like missed and hit their hand and they're like, oh, and then they just kept going. And they, but they learned how to do it, right? And his point was, you know, most people would, would not let those boys do that and has robbed them of, a great learning process, right? It wasn't, they're not really going to lose their limb or whatever. And, you know, for the most part, they were probably being relatively safe, but they just don't have good dexterity. And so they missed and hit their thumb. I mean, I've done it as an adult. So um, they learned a clear lesson there. Hey, make sure you line it up real good before you just whack away with a hammer, right? Better to learn that at 10 than at 30, right? So yeah. 
anyway, or, I, or it translates into it, yeah. it translates into university safe spaces. Exactly. It's uh, if words are literally violence, then everything controls you, right? So th there was a whole section on on that whole words is violence topic, and I had a hard time getting through it. But the I've got a is great true, word, right? a great word for them: accountability. Mm -hmm. That's the word that our society needs to learn. Yeah. Let's talk about accountability. Let's unpack that real quick. So this is just an example, and I'm probably going to get canceled for this, but you know, saying that being morbidly obese or or just fat is okay. It's not, it's not, it's because your people and your friends and your loved ones are not holding you accountable. You're not holding yourself accountable. Now, if you have a, a, a physical ailment or something that that's making you morbidly obese, okay, that's one thing. But if you're lazy, you eat McDonald's every single day, you drink nothing but sugar and Cokes, that's on you. You yeah, didn't do anything to change your lifestyle, drug alcoholism, abuse. drug yeah. abuse, you know, and, and people are so willing to say, oh, well, this is, it's it's a disease of the mind. No, no, it's not. It is well, even if it is making conscious then, then go, choices, then go get help. Right. Again, accountability. Right. Like exactly. If you're an alcoholic, the first thing you do is what get like an accountability partner. You don't go to the bar. You know, like so. And yeah, it's, and I'm not I'm not trying to drop a nuke, and I'm not fat shaming people, but like, excuse me, but get your ass up and do something about it. Mm -hmm. It's that simple. You, you want something to change in your life? You have to make the change. Do not wait on other people to make those changes. Do not play the victim. Mm -hmm. If anything, you playing the victim is other people enabling you and being soft. People need to be harder on you. I, I had someone hard on me yeah. uh, in my career. And guess what? It did phenomenal things for me. Mm -hmm. It sucked at the point at the point in time. But you know what? I got the hell over it. And I moved on. That's what people need to do. People need they need to be like Brandon said, more resilient. They need to learn from failures. You will never be successful. I, I, I will literally bet my paycheck to anybody who says that you will be successful without a failure. You absolutely will not be successful in anything in life without a failure. And it's hard, you know, as a parent uh, to go back to being a father, it's hard to watch your kids go and screw up and, you know, hit that hand or, you know, fall like my son the other or day, crawling on their homework and stuff. Or I'm whatever, like wanting right? to like go catch him. And he's falling face first in the carpet and he looks at me like, oh, and I'm like, yeah, sorry, dude, you did yeah. that. You know, you got to learn. And, it. Yeah. And, and you know what? Then he smiles at me and he goes right back mm -hmm. to doing it because he knew right. I wasn't upset about it. Like he's looking to me for approval. And if I give him approval to go screw up, then yeah. You know what? At right now, parents will judge me for saying that. <laughs> I let my kid fall flat on their face. But guess what? my kid's going to be the one who's able to do a wheelie on a bike or do something and not get detrimentally hurt. Did I use that right? Nailed it. Yep. Did it. That was a joke, by the way. Um, <laughs> so like you are teaching your kids, not only success in other things, but you're also teaching them, Hey, it's okay to mess up, but you're mm -hmm. learning things that other kids aren't going to learn because they're being coddled. And guess what? They're going to be the first ones as adolescents or adults when it gets more serious, that yeah. gets the serious injury, that gets hurt severely because they never practiced any of these things. That's right. my point. Okay. And, so and I want to come back to that. Yeah, so, I want to come so. back to that because they there's a really good point they called out with some some research that really backs up what you were just talking about. But I think Dustin had something he wanted to, to kind of chime in after Brandon. So let's get to Dustin. We'll come back to that thought. Yeah, absolutely. So Justin, and I know it makes me a bad dad, but I can't tell you how often I laugh at my son when he falls. You can't help it. It's hilarious. So I laugh. I'm like, but then I'm like, oh, look at that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> man. <laughs> um, but no, so I think, uh, you know, and maybe take this from a gamer perspective, 
I think when we talk about safe spaces, we need maybe safe spaces, but we also need like uh, PVP spaces, right? <laughs> Where like yeah. there's a big sign that says, you, that. When you walk in here, <laughs> it is on. You can say whatever you want. It doesn't matter how triggered you are. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> I love it. That's oh funny. my gosh. I don't even, no we shields. Should, we, should think of, uh, we should think of some trendy name for that or something, but uh yeah so the what i wanted to get back to justin where you were where you were going they so there is a section talking about play and the concept called free play which means like not with adults involved right like hey kids go in the backyard figure it out and then you go back inside and just let them make their own rules to whatever they're doing let them be imaginative and so where i where i want to go with this is the kids that are not allowed to do that a lot uh there is overwhelming research now showing that they are completely uh, way behind, even in adulthood, at all social interaction, every form of social interaction, not just you know with friends or whatever. It's all of it. So that translates to every aspect of your life. You know, trying to attract a spouse, <laughs> uh, doing well in your job, or what, I mean, if you can't interact with other human beings, we are a social. Even if you're an introvert, you still rely on social interaction. Um, that was some pretty alarming uh, stats they were thrown out there in the book that made me appreciate as a father how important it is that we make sure um, our kids play, that you play with them, that you let them play with the other kids, uh, let them stumble, let them get hurt. You know, hey, honey, it's okay. Let's put some Neosporin on it. Now get back out there type of thing. That is good for your kids. You're, you're setting them up to problem solve with other people um, with themselves, with their emotions, all that kind of stuff. And they, they, there was a really good section of the book um, in this How to Get Wiser. And so let's let's continue to expand on that, why this is so critical, right? So we could, we could pontificate on all the problems of society. What are we going to do about it today as dads with our kids collectively to ensure that society gets better, right? Because obviously this cannot be sustained. It's not, it's not real. It's not realistic for adults to be inept at all social interaction and not know how to problem solve and treat everyone like they're enemies and all this kind of stuff. So what are tangible things that we're going to do? And so one thing that the book brought out that I'm going to immediately start doing better on myself, is they talk about limiting screen time, um, especially the younger they are limited even that much more. They, they, they try the concept they says like, you know, we live in a technological technological world. It's pretty impossible to abstain from it completely. But, um, delay as long as possible closer to adulthood before like really letting them have lots of tech. Um, and so they talked about about two hours of screen time is, is kind of the research is showing that's like about the maximum amount that young kids can have without having a detriment to their social development and things like that. And I was kind of looking at it, I'm like, you know, we get our daughter playing a lot of sports and a lot of things like that, but I should be a lot more intentional on like, hey, I'm going to turn my screens off. We're going to turn the TV off. Even if we're playing a board game, we're just going to do something example. together, not with a screen. So th that was a that was a George took that home from that section of the book. That was a I need to do better. So that's one thing I'm putting out here to this group. Uh, that's something I'm gonna be more intentional on, be more present on, um, and I think that has a huge impact, especially because I have an only child. I need to make sure that I'm giving her every opportunity possible to be social instead of withdrawn. So, Justin, whoever else is next, go ahead on what you think. Yeah, you know, uh, what do I'm dads need to do today? I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to double down on accountability one and failure. Let's, let's talk back into failure. So there's a word that I heard a statistic about that, that also blew my mind. Confidence. Did you know that in a study that they did a social study, 
98% of all children who were depressed that gained confidence in something were no longer depressed a year later. Of that 98%, no one caused any harm to themselves because they had confidence. So failure leads to confidence. Conflict leads to confidence because when you start learning that you can get through things, that you can learn things, that you can use things, that confidence is so, so big for our kids because as a father, you want your kid to go out in the society and have confidence and know. And I'm not talking about arrogance. There's a big difference. But confidence is something that allows you to strive not only in school, but in social aspects, in work, in anything. And I'm telling you what, if you don't build confidence in your kids, this is the other statistic that really blew me away. They said that of those children, there was like 1,200 kids. Five of those kids in the next five years actually killed themselves. And the ones that did were the ones that said that they had zero confidence and nobody to give them any confidence. That's a sad, sad statistic. Yeah, It's it's proven that if you don't have confidence, not only in yourself, but in the things you do or in your daily life, you're never going to go anywhere. You're going to sit there spinning the wheels. And when you're stuck and you feel stuck, you're going to feel lost. And when you feel lost, you're going to feel despair. And I hate to quote Star Wars, but it leads to the the next negative emotion. You know what I mean? It leads to suffering. <laughs> exactly. It leads to suffering. That's right. So as uh, as Yoda yeah. said, man, you got to have some confidence to stay away from the dark yeah. side. Right. And and just to kind of like add into that concept, we've already talked several times on, on this podcast of, of, you know, ways that you can provide that outlet for kids that are you know it's not life and death it's a, it's sports it's a board game it's you know learning an instrument whatever there's trial there's failure um and that that lets them develop those skills that you just described in a healthy way right there's healthy uh you know failure and there's you know not so healthy failure right so uh, know the difference all right brandon dustin when you guys want to jump in what can dads do today? Uh, discipline their kids more. No, that's flat out. Uh, kids are not, again, they're not getting um, backlash. They're not getting um, any kind of, of feedback because parents are either too lazy or not being real enough because... Present. It, yeah, yeah. I mean, the Bible says that no discipline seems pleasant at the time but painful. Uh, later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. Um, can, so for those who have yeah. been trained by it, can, yeah, can yeah. We just, can we talk about that for a second? People who don't de- discipline their kids, especially in public, that pisses me off more than anything in the world. It is my pet peeve. I want to say something every time I see a lazy parent or a parent who doesn't care and everybody's just staring and nobody has the guts to say anything. The only reason I don't is because I'm married to a Cajun and in case you don't know what that means, she's spicy. She is, Five foot two, but she's a giant. She will literally curb stomp me. So I'm careful about that. But if I didn't have her around, let me tell you, I would straight up tell some parents, man, y'all need to get your kids right because it's well, bad. <laughs> okay. He, he muted there. Um, I, I, I disagree with that to an extent because you don't want to shame your kid in public, um, especially if they're around their peers and there's there's a way to pull them to the side or there's a, a healthy way uh, to get them away from the situation that is making them emotional at the time. Hear me out. 
you you resolve the issue with them and then you push them you place them back into it so that they have the coping yeah. mechanisms and the ability it's de-escalation. to critically yeah sure. you're de-escalating because once they're in that certain there's research countless behavioral psychology researches that say once somebody's in that 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 panic and that crying mood or specifically kids uh, they're not going to hear a word you say mm-hmm. until you de-escalate. Mm-hmm. You make them feel safe. Once you make them feel safe, then you bring them back into that situation where they can critically think, and then you explain. At least that's how I do it. Now every parent's going to be different, but I get it. I get what you're I, saying. I think what I you're think trying to Justin's say. Kind of I'm not saying his... shame or beat them. I'm saying the parents are the ones failing. The kids are kids. Kids are going to lose their crap. I, I think to. I'm I'm reading between the lines here. If maybe give me a chance to describe what you were saying and tell me if I'm right. But it's like the parents who are just like okay, they're not even attempting to de-escalate. They're like the kids just throwing a tantrum. They're like, yeah, whatever. They're a kid. Here goes Timmy again. Yeah, yeah right. I think that's what Justin's talking about. And yeah, I agree. That yeah. it's kind of like, um, I, I get it. Kids have have attitudes. They do they do stupid stuff. And then those are the you first still people use to play an opportunity victim when their to kid gets in trouble. Pull them aside and say, hey, hey, little Timmy, this is not okay. And if it doesn't stop, we're going to leave. And I'm so it. sorry drop, to all the I'll, Timmies out there. <laughs> I'm going to drop a nuke. I'm going to drop Justin, a nuke. We're going to put the cookie down, okay? Uh, because we already had a cookie. We're not going to have two cookies. That's right? true. If you're going to yeah, throw a tantrum, we're going to leave. Down, man. That's fine. We'll go home. That's right. That, I think, you know what I mean? But, yeah. but, but then that same mom or dad, five years down the road, when their kids get shot trying to rob a liquor store. <laughs> Oh, what, Timmy? Why'd this yeah. happen to we Timmy? Well, that's real exactly quick why it happened to Timmy. Because you did not do anything with your kid. You did not hold your kid accountable. You didn't do anything. And I'm being drastic, but I'm just saying, yeah. that's why these kids are little a-holes, man. Like, nobody's holding them accountable on anything. And it's the most frustrating thing in the world as a father to see. It was frustrating before I was a father. Now that I'm a father, I'm, I look at my son. He's 10 months old. And I'm like, bro, you ever do that? Ooh. Uh, Ooh. Okay. Ooh. I agree with the kid, frustration, but, but I, Brandon yeah. was still kind of midpoint. We're going to kick it back to Brandon. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> That's okay. So <laughs> moderate. Yeah. Dis- <clears throat> discipline and resilience are the two primary key things other than critical thinking um, and discomfort that I had mentioned earlier. Um, yeah. So those are, those are the ones that I would absolutely say are, are good, but going back real quick uh, to what Justin was talking about with self-confidence keep your kid accountable for what they say they're going to do, um, especially for themselves. Like if they say, I'm, I'm going to do this for myself, make sure they actually do it. Uh, you know, that, that's a, that's a, another huge thing too. So, but that's, that's, that's my final thought. I know Dustin probably had a few things he'd, he'd love to share as well. Well, well Brandon, before you kick it over, can you, do you see what I put in the chat there? I, can sure. can you also expand a little bit on oh, how yeah, you absolutely. adapt? You know, you're the only one here with more than one child, but can yeah. you, talk absolutely this is this is i think a very important thing to make too right yeah so so with my son um he is just like me he's very neurodivergent he's adhd and i can tell you that because of my adhd uh socially i suffered greatly at the hands of my peers growing up um just completely embarrassing moments uh in public sight in front of all of them like laughing at me kind of deal and you know, one of the things that I've tried to emphasize for for Benjamin, knowing where he's coming from and how he thinks and feels is to put him in a place of discomfort uh, in order to grow him uh, sooner than I did. Because uh, like I say, every time the world's going to teach him a lot more harshly. Um, but with him specifically, like I have to do a lot more coping mechanisms 
for his anxiety. Um, I have we actually recently just pulled him from tablet time. Like he doesn't get more any more tablet time, and the only time he does is when his behavior is excellent and he's read books. So we we offset his his screen time with time in something that is not a dopamine hit. Um, and, and let me emphasize that if dads, if you think your kids are not getting constantly promoted to dopamine hits by YouTube and these people are being monetized for it, you are very disillusioned. These kids, that's all they're targeting. They're targeting your children in these videos with that specific intent and they're making money on it. So that's, that's one of the big things. Like I can literally see a difference if my kid's on his tablet too much or not. Uh, so with him specifically, I have to be very careful on a lot of avenues, but with my daughter being one being the other gender, um, I, I have to have my, my wife help a little bit with her too. Um, uh, but she's a lot more straightforward socially. So yeah, there's definitely different factors there, but, uh, when they're both emotional at the same time, it's a divide and conquer kind of situation. So either way. Yeah, thank thank you, Brandon, because you're the only one who, here of the four of us who can actually speak with authority on on that. But I think that that's a, a really good distinction for people to also understand. Like your kid may be different than most parents' kid, and um, you can still instill discipline and all these things we're talking about. It's not a cookie cutter thing here, right? You you need to find ways that they're going to respond to in a healthy way, uh, and and it. The, the goal there is long-term growth, right? You're trying, you're trying to accelerate the rate at which they can master these concepts and, and grow into an adult, uh, a functioning adult. Um, so yeah, thank you for kind of clarifying that and giving us some thoughts there. So absolutely, who knows, maybe, maybe some of us here will get our second kid at some point. So <laughs> there All right. you're next. <clears throat> oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is a little hot take here. Um, I think in some ways it was easier for my mom to do this being a single mom than it is for two parents together, um, was to be consistent. She didn't have anyone to argue with. She didn't have anyone Uh. to disagree with. Um, no meant no. I couldn't go to dad and say, Hey dad, can I have that cookie? You know, whether mom said no or not. I mean, her, her rule was law and she was very consistent about it. You know, with screen time, um, I loved video games. And so she would take my keyboard away. Um, and I figured out a way to use a mouse as a keyboard. So I still got to run, but you know, it's a, <laughs> but it taught me, uh, you know, how to be creative. So that was, <laughs> that was a good thing. That's funny. Um, but, uh, so that, that is a key element to being a good dad is to be consistent, right? Oh, you're only going to do two hours of screen time a day. And then tomorrow it's four hours. And then, oh, we're only going to do two, mm. but your kid knows that you're weak and that you're not going to stick to yeah. that. Um, so you know, we do monthly meetings at work. Um, why don't we do monthly meetings at home, you know, to yep. discuss this kind of stuff, treat it um, like, a, like a job, you know, take, take your family just as seriously as you would take your job, if not more, more right? what's more important. Yeah. Your family is more important than your job. And yet you'll go to 10 hours a week of meetings at your job and won't do, you know, one hour a month with your family. That's negligent. So sit down with your wife um, and talk about this and be consistent because that is essential. And I struggle with that. You know, I'm definitely, I see that already with my, my three-year-old son, I'm a little tougher on him sometimes than I am at other times. And that's confusing to him. Right. Um, so let the chat is, <laughs> that's funny. So We're yeah. Tracking Dustin, it's our fault. Um, so Sorry, be consistent. Yeah. Oh no, you guys are hilarious. Yeah. Um, Consistency and, is huge. Uh, yeah. And you can't do that if you don't communicate with your spouse about those. Rules, yeah. You, right? you absolutely have to be a unified front on that. You, you make a very good point. Kid, I mean, kids literally have stages of their development where they're going to try and intentionally see how real you are on the rules you set. It, it's a natural thing they do. It's not because you have a 
you know, difficult kid or whatever, that it's it's normal for them to try and find it's healthy. What the boundaries of the world is, right? Testing um, boundaries. And, yeah. and that's why you discipline, right? It's it's to teach them healthy understanding of boundaries and what's right and wrong and things like that. But um, yeah, you have to talk with your wife. You guys need to have uh, agreements on things like that. And if one of you messes up, you know, own it. Uh, you know, don't and don't attack each other. Just ha- you know, support each other to to move forward. And because at the end of the day, the goal is having a healthy unified front for, on behalf of your children. Um, and yeah, if they try to play the game of well, mom said this, or you know, mommy said no, so I'm going to run to daddy now. And you let your spidey sense tingle. I've done it with my daughter a couple times. I'll be like, wait a second, <clears throat> did you already ask mom? You did. Mm-hmm. What you say? Well, then why do you think I'm going to say different? That, that's not good. You know, don't do that. <clears throat> you know, um, and, and, you know, in a sense, you need to take the leadership role on it too. Like you were saying, have a meeting, um, ha- have the discussion. It may be difficult. Um, and, and you need to go into it with the, the graciousness and understanding that you may disagree on some things uh, because of how you were raised or for whatever reason and try and find a, you know, a, a suitable compromise. But if you guys are just guessing on what the other parent is going to say, then you're you're going to confuse your children. So and, and that's quick, a really good point. Yeah, and, and one quick point to that, uh, never ever correct your spouse in front of your children because what mm-hmm. you're doing is you're delineating her, her authority to the children. They're seeing that she's wrong in something, which, I mean, we're all going to be wrong, but you always do that behind closed doors. So like, if you guys don't agree, don't argue in front of the children. Don't, Mm -hmm. don't take the other one, strip the other one's authority. Um, You always want to support each other's authority in that manner. So like, you'll come back, even if you need to cool off, you'll come back to your wife and say, Hey, let's, let's, let's talk about this for a minute. But like you said, these meetings are where that happens. You say, I I don't agree with that. Here's why. Um, This is how I was always raised to do it. But don't ever do it in front of your children because, man, when they don't see that authority anymore, that those boundaries are gone. That consistency mm-hmm. is going to be for not for that person. And that's where you see like a mom who gets never, never has their kids listen to them. And then the dad says something, and the kids do it right then or yeah. vice versa. So, yeah. Yeah. OK, what else? What else, men, can we do as fathers today to ensure that children's minds aren't coddled and they grow into functioning adults? talked about play we talked about screen time we talked about accountability and discipline any anything else that uh we're we're not covering here uh real quick add to that be the primary disciplinarian as the dad um tons of studies show this is really interesting that when the mother is the primary disciplinarian um children do not grow up as well as when the father is um Hmm. so if you don't do that you are abdicating your job as a father um it is man i gotta step up then (laughs) that's, <laughs> and like, that's not every time guy. daddy's cool <laughs> and that's how most american dads are because it's more fun to be the fun dad right yeah. um but the research yeah. shows consistently yeah. that um you can be the fun dad when your kid is 19 um until then you've got to be right. the tough dad and uh, it is your job to be the disciplinary yeah it's tough i don't want to be either i love to be the, the the fun happy dad but uh you know and you can be obviously you don't have to be a jerk to your kid uh, yeah. but you definitely need to be the primary disciplinary. It needs to come from dad. And that, um, you know, shows over and over how important that is. King and queen trump the prince or the princess for sure. You gotta remember your queen is, is one of the biggest pieces on the board and the most powerful too. So, you know, a lot of people forget that.
Yeah. Um, so I wanted to kind of just talk on one point too. I think we're kind of at a turning point, right? And that's why I was I was kind of excited to to do this episode and and get to the so what that we've been talking about. You know, dads, what can we do today? What can we do with our wives to make a difference? And I really do think we're at this turning point now where um society's waking up to some of the insanity that's one is described in the book that we're covering and then even the last couple years uh, beyond when it was written and this is how we shift the culture is these things that we're talking about today taking ownership of that hey this is my role i am their father this this has to be my priority um to train them to coach them to teach them to let them fail to let them scrape their knee to let them learn through that um, you know, always be there to cover them and, and, you know, they should always know that you're there to support them and protect them. Um, but you have to also kind of let their leash get longer and longer as they age. Right. And, and, you know, encourage them to go try new and scary things. Right. Um, as long as there's some healthy parameters around that. Right. Um, because otherwise you're essentially teaching them to just be, you know, a small sailboat with tattered sails drifting in the ocean. Um, and you know, that, that's, I think how we got to where we are today as a culture is there's there's essentially two to three generations of now adults um, that are basically just small ships drifting in which whatever way the wind blows. So build your foundation firm and strong. Be that example for your kids. Take ownership, right? That means hold yourself accountable. Get accountability. Get other guys. Like I have the three other guys here on the on this podcast. You know, they'll call me out. We We confide in each other to support each other. Um, and this is really how we change the culture in our country. Uh, it begins inside your own home. All right. So, you know, I think we, we talk about these big grand concepts of, Oh, the, the, you know, our society is all these things. It starts in our house today, every day. And if we do that consistently and enough dads and, and wives, um, do that together as couples and, and train their kids, right. The culture will be drastically different in the future. Um, I think that I just yeah. wanted to really hit that note before we got too far on any other topics. Sure. Um, I, I really do think we're at that point where enough people are waking up to it where if we kind of just own it today, it's we're going to see the repercussions in the next you know five to ten years, I think, even that quick. So get to yeah. it, dads. Yep. And uh, the other piece of advice I would give you, have your kids get exercise every single day. It's not only good for their, their mental health, it's good for the confidence we talked about. It's good for their physical being. It's good for their health in general. But I'm telling you what, a kid that works out or has a vice to get away from stresses knows how to deal with the world better and knows how to deal with bullying and has somewhere to go with exercise. So that's one thing I would say is get your kids involved with exercise. I like it. Um... All right, gentlemen, any final thoughts on the book? Anything that you disagreed with that you want to call out or you feel like we've kind of covered it pretty well? I think we did a pretty good recap. I think we got some real tangible ideas, right? Limiting the screen time, play, uh, healthy discipline, healthy failure. Don't coddle them. <laughs> Build resiliency, yeah. critical thinking. Uh, allow them to experience other people's viewpoints. Yeah. I guess we'll close on, I just want to say this, that it is an immense responsibility, right, as, as a father, but it's also an exciting opportunity because, like I said, I think this is 
we, we have the power today to make a real impact through our children. Um, and we may not necessarily benefit from it personally, but our kids will. And I think that that's a legacy worth fighting for. And so, you know, when these groups of people who, you know, that the, the, the book has talked about that have these uh, scary ways of thinking that lead to these vicious cycles, stand against it, speak out against it, teach your kids that that's not healthy. And I think uh, we can make a real impact. So I think that'll wrap it up for talking about the coddling of the American mind. Um, with that, I think Justin had a guest speaker lined up for our next episode. So I, I don't do. know if you want to talk about that or just sure. kind of some high notes. That. Yeah, just a quick uh, spiel on that. So um, Mr. Bill has kindly uh, accepted coming on the show. He's going to talk about his father. Uh, he's got a great story. I'm not going to ruin it. But the book we're going to be covering is called The Jolly Roger. You will have to get it uh, from like um, offline on Amazon or somewhere in an actual bookstore. It is not available just yet uh, digitally. He's working on that, but um, fantastic book. I've read into most of it. Um, amazing story. It's a father-son story that I think everyone here is going to really appreciate. Uh, Mr. Bill actually uh, became a reverend to uh, to marry my wife and I uh, because uh, of COVID. We lost our church and a lot of other things a week before we were supposed to get married. So um, very important part of our life. Uh, he's, he's a very fun, very wise guy, but uh, he's, he's also a great guy to have a scotch with. So uh, I'm a big fan of his. So um, I'm really, really excited for him to come on. And I think everyone's going to enjoy his, his dad's story and, and what he went through with his dad and then helping his father write the book. Uh, so I think it's, it's going to be something amazing. Uh, but his name's Bill Atkinson, uh, and the book is called The, the Jolly Roger. Uh, and I think it's it's going to be uh, an interesting one. So cool! All righty, excited. And uh, before Brandon, you close uh, with your quote or thought. Uh, I wanted to also say I think after that episode, what we should do. We've talked about it several times. Let's do an episode talking about technology, screen time, practical ways we can work through that. So we'll come. So let's say about a month from now, we'll be having that conversation about. The, the the technology word um and we'll, we'll go into some let just independently let's find some research um and t you know on on the ways that it's bad for your kids and and at what age should they be at what level and that kind of stuff so there's plenty out Love there it. but i think that'd be a very valuable episode We're still relatively you know new in this year it's a good way to start the year uh give give dad some practical tools to help you know manage their kids in the technological age that we're in um and yeah so with that brandon i think you had a, a closing thought yes the group uh, here and after that so, we'll go ahead and wrap this thing up so i'm a man of quotes uh, i love quotes especially ones that kind of uh, bring an epiphany or they they bring a, a sense of of marination as i call it um and you know speaking to the points that you were just discussing about uh leaving a legacy and a world in which our children can grow there's a quote that says a society grows great when old men uh, plant trees in whose shade they will never sit. Mm. And I love that quote because we do that. Us men, us fathers, if we truly present uh, ourselves to our children and we truly and intently grow them, you know, we're planting the trees. But, we'll, you know, we might not see the fruits of our labor, but yeah. uh, society will as a whole. So that's so good, man, because, it, it, yeah awesome it's a beautiful quote so 
All right, gentlemen. Well, thanks for the, uh, at times, healthy debate on the coddling of the American mind. I think there is a lot of really good, um, you know, practical things that dads could take from that book, uh, especially at the end. There's some extremely good points they make uh, that f- made me feel uplifted and also helped me kind of self-analyze ways to be better. So I encourage you to get it, uh, whether audiobook or physical, whatever, uh, and at, at a minimum, Get, get to that end piece because I think it's worth it. I think it's worth the investment on those. There were some really good some thoughts for you as a dad. So with that, gentlemen, thanks for the discussion. Uh, this wraps up the coddling of the American mind debate and practical application for dads. And uh, look for us in a couple weeks with Justin's guest, Mr. Bill, and we'll be talking about the book, The Jolly Roger. So have a great rest of the week, everyone. Thanks for listening. Take care. Present fathers are signing off once I can remember how to click our video. <laughs> See you, Dad. Thanks for watching this episode of the Present Fathers Podcast. Please be sure to like this video, subscribe to our channel, and turn on notifications so you can know when we go live next. Also be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and our Discord channel. It's our desire to grow this fathership together and support dads out there. If you think this channel would be beneficial to someone you know, please share it with them. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Okay, just kidding. We have one final announcement. Uh, We are on Spotify officially, as well as Apple Podcasts and all the other major uh, locations. So... Uh, I will put those links in the description to this video. If you already missed it, don't worry. Um, We'll share it again on our pages and everything. Thank you so much for listening. We're really signing off now. Thank you.